What happens when you ask for help, but instead receive assistance that harms you? We're seeing this across the country and being told that this problem is being addressed. Is it? What am I talking about? Doctors and doctors with a professional license that's supposed to be looking out for your best interest. But are they? Well, I think this is up for debate and probably up to the perspective of the person. So please stay tuned for our guest who will probably disagree with the looking out for your best interest is she'd seen a doctor. And I'm also very aware of this doctor who probably has falsely claimed that as long as you feel good, you're fine. What do we call him? Dr. Feelgood, right? I'll see you in a second. Hey, this is Eric McCoy, and I am happy, I am stable, and of course, high, but I'm always clean. Welcome back to High Wall Clean. You know, doctors can sometimes be our worst enemy if they aren't really looking out for our best interest. One pillar of ethics, and I teach this in school, is that always comes to mind when I think of this as non-maleficence, which is to do no harm. What is it? that causes these experts to not care about their patients? Is it ignorance? Is it stupidity? Or honestly, what I think it is, is to make sure that they keep these individuals. And that's kind of the way I've always thought about this. How do you do this? Well, you give them a substance that will alter their central nervous system enough to where they will become dependent and require the substance to feel normal or you know as normal as they can feel. <laughs> I spent a bit of time recently looking into a doctor that I believe is someone who has or will eventually kill someone. Now, with the first visit, and I want to explain this real quick, I received three separate prescriptions of Adderall, 30 milligrams, uh, daily, dated a month apart. Again, three separate prescriptions, 300 milligrams once a day of Wellbutrin, 25 milligrams of Seroquel daily and 100 milligrams of Pristique daily. The second visit, I decided, and yes, I decided as the patient <laughs> to add Xanax. All the same meds as before, two separate prescriptions of, again, 30 milligram Adderall, but this time two a day, which is the maximum that you can get, and also upped my Seroquel from 25 milligrams to 200 milligrams. Now, just for fun, I did go a third time and I received three more prescriptions of Adderall, the highest dose again, and I increased the Xanax from 0.5 to one milligrams 
And I also increased my 200 milligrams to 400 milligrams of Seroquel, an amazing cocktail, uppers and downers. <laughs> now I have today a guest who, unlike myself, I think actually saw the same doctor for legitimate reasons, since I didn't, I actually went strictly to see what I could get from this doctor. And I want to thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, you know, for having me. Yeah, and I'm glad that you're willing to share your story. Absolutely. You know, one thing I found about this guy, and I know we're not we're not going to mention his name, is that there are no tests, or there were no questionnaires that I was given. Um, and I want to ask you real quick, just to start off, is what was okay. the reason that you saw this doctor? Um, I actually he was my family practitioner when I was younger, um, like in my early teen years. Um, you know, so he just, he was a general practitioner that, you know, my parents took my brother and I too, that was our family doctor that we trusted. And, um, and the, the meds with him started at a pretty young age. Um, but it started off slow. Um, it started off with like him, you know, testing out, Zoloft on me and affects her. And I mean, I was a healthy, you know, normal teenage kid and I didn't really have anything out of the norm. You know what I mean? I wasn't like severely depressed or anything like that. I mean, I've always had pretty high anxiety levels, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of that comes from all of the prescription medications that I've been, you know, basically been a guinea pig on. Um, so honestly, when I first went in there, it wasn't for anything except just normal stuff, but it snowballed very quickly. So you went into him as a family doctor. I did. Yeah. Okay. Did he ever take your blood pressure? Um, gosh, you know what? I'm <laughs> my blood pressure perhaps, um, because okay. like I said, you know, he was, <laughs> he was a family practitioner, but, um, but, you know, there was never like major blood panels run or anything like that. And it did he actually like do physicals and things like that at, at some point? He he did back way back when. Um, okay. But, you know, now, as far as I know, um, he he just is basically um, a pill pusher. But, yeah, back um, when I first began to see him, it was, you know, he was more of, of a doctor, which I really don't think that he he does much of that anymore clearly um yeah i saw him you know i saw him twice in 2018 which was the first time i went and saw him and it was it was again to see how you know easy it was to get things or what you could yeah. get from him and then i saw him another three times in this year in the beginning of this year and never once did he do any kind of questionnaire examinations uh, or take my blood pressure or That's, anything. <laughs> yeah. It's really scary because um, you know, the amount of stuff that you said that he had just given you is that's like you said, quite a cocktail. Um, when I started out with him, um, like I said, he was just my general practitioner, but um, it, it soon grew to be um, a lot more than that. And it was, you know, I was about um, 16, maybe 17, when he first started out um, giving me opiates. And um, it started out with uh, 
Vicodin because I had, you know, menstrual cramps as most 17 year olds do, you mm. know, but um, it started out with a, a script of, I think maybe 30 or 40 um, of the Vicodin ES with 10 refills. Mm. And um, yeah. And uh, so, you know, the pharmacy went back and questioned him and he went back and tried to say that he thought I had altered the prescription, which I hadn't um, because, you know, my mom and the pharmacist were extremely concerned that I had just been given this many pills. So yeah, that, that kind of started things out. And, uh, and it, like I said, it grew really fast with him into a, a pretty bad problem, you know, to a point where I was entering his office and he was, I was leaving with samples of, I don't even know what, you know, Seroquel and which, you know, you shouldn't be giving a normal, healthy person. I don't think, mm -hmm. um, you know, Seroquel and Effexor and just this crazy combination of all these pills, you know, in a, in a bag mm. full of samples, you know, it's just, it's careless. And, um, and it, it started a, a roller coaster of not very fun events for me. So. Let me ask you a question on the sure. um, the opiates that you were given. Mm -hmm. um, and just, I mean, obviously, you, you can answer this better than I can, but is it common or typical for a doctor to give opiates for menstrual cramps? Um, I don't know so much anymore, but this was back in the late 90s when, you know, the whole pain movement had begun and... Um, you know, and I think we can thank Purdue Pharma for that. Yeah. Um, you know, as pain is the fifth vital sign and you know what I mean? Like um, all the stuff that they were pushing. I don't think that that's very common anymore. I certainly hope not. But, um, but yeah, I went in and uh, um, it started out with menstrual cramps, Vicodin for that. And then, you know, I got in a couple of really bad car accidents and, um, and then the problem just exploded after that it got it got really bad and um this particular doctor was a uh, a big part of that and then I ended up being transferred or being uh referred out to a a pain management doctor after that and that's when the fun really began but it all started with this particular doctor that we're talking about right now yeah now the pain management how old again were you when when this was I was seven I was 17 when this all started and, um, and I saw him for a couple of years and it was always, you know, it was always for pills pretty much mm. <laughs> if I'm being honest. Mm. Um, and then, you know, after I got in that car accident and things actually legitimately got really bad. Um, and you had, then you had legitimate reasons for payments. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and at that point, I don't think he really knew what to do with me anymore. You know, um, I did legitimately have a back injury. And so I was referred out to this pain management doctor. And when I got there, um, you know, the first time I left his office, it was with fentanyl patches and the actic fentanyl sucker and um, Oxycontin, you know, yes. I, stuff that you shouldn't be given to somebody that, you know, isn't dying of cancer. Yeah. And especially so young. Yeah. Yeah. And so you got, I'm assuming, physically dependent. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. and um and how, how long did your and now how long have you been using since um, that point or well 
you know, I, I got physically dependent on all, all the meds really quickly. Um, you know, it would be almost impossible not to. And I saw that pain management doctor for, you know, about a year or two. I'm not exactly sure um, the exact amount of time, but somewhere around there, a year and a half, maybe. Um, and then when he cut me off, I mean, then I, I started looking to the streets to, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise I would have been sick. So that's when, um, my problem with heroin started and, uh, and I did that for a little while. And then I was able to clean myself up for a while, for a few years. And it's just been kind of a roller coaster ever since, um, you know, just mm-hmm. with pills back and forth and, um, but yeah, I've, it's, it's been a roller coaster for the last 20 years. Have you seen the doctor since? Which one? The uh, either, either one? Yeah, either one. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't. Mm-mm. Okay. So basically, yeah. you had um, at 17 years old, you went in, you got a bunch of pain meds from this one particular doctor, you got an accent that went to another doctor, they mm-hmm. gave you more pain medications, and then cut you off. Yep. And then you went to the streets and you got on heroin, you said? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And Cause it was a cheaper, cheaper alternative, you know? Sure. So yeah, I did that for a while and then I was able to kind of clean myself up and then, um, you know, went, went back to pills after one thing or another. And, um, you know, there's, I, I haven't been messed up for the whole 20 years of it, you know, but it's been, it's been a roller coaster for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's, it's a daily struggle and it always will be because that, you know, once that switch flips in your head and you can't unflip it, unfortunately, especially with opiates, which is, I think what a lot of people have a really hard time understanding is that, you know, once that's, once those, your brain chemistry has been altered by it, um, it's, it's real hard to, mm-hmm. to maintain without it. And, um, you know, it takes us very strong strong-willed person to, to pull themselves out of that mm-hmm. nightmare and that's exactly what it is is a nightmare yeah you got to stay committed absolutely yeah for sure um now have you uh what's the longest you've had clean before um i mean like completely clean or are we talking like california clean <laughs> completely clean ever <laughs> um yeah i mean yeah i i have I have kids. And so I, I was clean throughout my pregnancies and, you know, thereafter. So, I mean, a couple of years here and there. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then what would happen? Um, you know, something would happen. Um, I don't even know. I would get prescribed pills for this or that or the other, and then it would just start the whole snowball effect and, and end me up in a bad place. Were you seeking pills or? Um, for a while, no, no, I wasn't. But yeah, there was definitely a time that um, that I did some doctor shopping and, and was definitely a, a drug seeker for sure, you know? Yeah, that's tough. You know, I mean, this is the thing that really irritates me, you know, about doctors, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. is, is finding the ones that actually do care about you. And there are, yeah. I mean, again, I don't want, you know, I know there's all these, you know, all this stuff out there about, you know, all these horrible doctors, there are still good doctors out there. Um, And so it's obviously about finding the ones that genuinely do care about you. I mean, you know, pain meds and things like that have their place. Yes, (laughs) I agree. But it needs to be, um, again, I think personally of a necessity for those of us in recovery, you know, I think it's 
very, very important that, you know, we do understand number one, that our bodies can handle a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, and so being able to get to the place to where it's, it's an absolute necessity before you yeah. jump the gun and, <laughs> and get, well, back yeah, I, I think that the way things are now, um, you know, with the FDA and the DA cracking down on, um, on doctors and pill mills and things like that, I think it is definitely beneficial for the, you know, the, the youth of today or the younger people or younger generation. But I mean, where does that leave the people that, you know, started this journey, you know, like I did 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, what are you supposed to do? You know, most people that were, you know, in my same position did exactly what I did and, and went and sought, sought the, you know, sought it somewhere else in the streets or, um, you know, and now we've got this whole fentanyl crisis because that's just kind of the third wave of the opiate epidemic, I think. And yeah, it really is. And, and the, the, you know, the, the death rates are phenomenal. I mean, it's just absolutely insane how many people are dying from this. Yeah. And the, and the crazy part is that, you know, so many doctors are, I mean, I, you know, I think in a sense, you know, somewhat responsible for it. Um, you know, obviously we can't put the full blame because people still choose to do this. Um, sure. But it, you know, at the age of 17, when you're, you know, going in for whatever you're going in for and a doctor hands you yeah. a bunch of meds, you're not yeah. quite as responsible, I think, at that age. Um, yeah. And you get the dependence, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And like I said, I mean, once that switch is flipped, it's never going to unflip. It's always, that's always going to be there. You know, it literally alters the way that your brain operates. And, um, and unfortunately with opiates, it's really, it's really hard to dig yourself out of that hole. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and now you've got people that have been, you know, that got hooked on, you know, oxy or whatever, 20 years ago, and then, you know, move to heroin and then fentanyl, you know, and, and want to get help, you know, then they end up on some kind of a mat treatment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're back to the pharmaceutical companies, mm -hmm. um, you know, with Suboxone or Subutex or methadone or whatever it is, you know, it's, so it's, it's just like a, it's like a merry-go-round that you can't get yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a, I, I am a believer in harm reduction, um, you know, because again, I'd rather see people on harm reduction than dead. Yeah, um, definitely. But, you know, preferably, obviously, if you can get off everything, that's ideal. Yeah. And, uh, but one thing I, I wanted to mention with, um, uh, you know, so I, I teach all this stuff with, you know, uh, physiological effects and, you know, everything at, yeah. a, at a school for people working to become substance abuse counselors. And I'm a counselor myself. One thing that, you know, you had mentioned the switch, right. That, that off and on switch, um, yeah. with, with sadly the on switch being in the mid part of the brain, which is our survival part of the brain. That's why it's so scary. Mm -hmm. And the off switch being in our prefrontal cortex, but again, sometimes the survival part of the brain is more powerful. But one thing that I see with a lot of people, you know, is number one is time, yeah. you know, is time. It's not, you know, the, the concept of neuroplasticity, you know, which basically you put drugs in your body, there's a neuroplasticity, your brain changes. 
Um, mm-hmm. It goes from homeostasis to a state of allostasis. Um, this is works against you. It works for you at the same time while using because it actually saves your life because of the changes that happen. If it didn't happen, you would die. But then that obviously leads to the withdrawal stuff and everything that you go through. But then there's a flip side to it. And the good side to it is that neuroplasticity also will help heal your brain. um, But it definitely doesn't happen overnight. Right. Um, It it can take a couple of years, you know, Um, methamphetamine is another one that has um, quite a long period of time for that neuroplasticity to, to really change everything back. Um, And that's actually what we're seeing now is we're seeing a a much bigger surge of meth coming back. Yeah. Well, I mean, people are doing fentanyl and then having to to smoke meth to stay awake, you know, Mm -hmm. what I've seen anyway, myself. So, yeah. Was fentanyl your, so fentanyl was your drug of choice at at a point or was it just heroin? No, no, it wasn't. Yeah, it never was. Um, I mean, it was when it was from a doctor, you know, that's, I mean, ultimately what got the ball rolling and got my, you know, escalated my problem the way it did um because i was i had it you know in a patch so it was pumping through my blood 24 hours a day and then um the suckers which you know literally you give people that have you know that are dying of cancer um that's in a in a hospital setting typically you don't just give it to somebody and send them home um i'm lucky to be alive how much heroin were you doing when you were doing that um about a gram a day mm-hmm. yeah so i mean a good amount but not but I've, I've definitely seen people you know a couple grams of fentanyl every day which is crazy mm-hmm. yeah absolutely but you made it you're alive yeah <laughs> now you got to stay alive exactly mm-hmm. now i got to try and turn it around somehow so yeah what are you doing what are you doing for yourself um, I'm still in treatment. Um, I'm doing an IOP. Um, I went to treatment over the summer. I did a 90 day inpatient at a residential. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, I started my IOP directly after that, um, which I'm still doing. And, um, right now I'm just trying to find work and I'm taking care of my kids and just trying to get back to normal because mm-hmm. definitely, um, definitely threw me for a loop for sure. Yeah. It's a lot of work, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's a lot of work to to be that way, and then it's a lot of work to come back. So, yeah. Yeah. what I'm trying to do. Well, and the reality is, is sobriety is harder sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I'm I'm starting to find joy in things again, you know, and starting to get back to myself and do the things that I always like to do. So, yeah, yeah, but it's definitely been a a tough journey and i mean i wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy you know mm-hmm. figure out a way that you can you know take the strengths and things that you've gained from it and utilize those exactly yeah and that's why you know i want to share my story i mean it's it's you know like i have a lot of shame and a lot of guilt but you know if i can help somebody then it's not all in vain so mm-hmm. You yeah, know. there's there's that idea of learning to transform your past, right? Where you take exactly, you know, there's there's nothing that you ever have done that makes you who you are. So that's not you. And hopefully you can kind of think about that to reduce some of that shame because that's yeah. not who you are. 
Right. Um, but there are things that you've done that it does help shape you. And if you can get to that place to where you love yourself, then it yeah. was all worth it. Exactly. I did a, I just, when I was talking about, I was just did a podcast recently with Tommy Chong and, uh, and we were talking about, you know, a lot of this stuff that, that, um, you know, like for me, if, if, if I knew the information I knew now, would I go back and do things differently? And honestly, I wouldn't because, because it, because I love who I am today. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so we can, we can make, we can make those life experiences, some of the greatest things in the world, you know, yeah. um, you get to stand up, you get to show the world that, Hey, you know what? Yeah. I went through this stuff, but look at me today. I definitely hope that, um, you know, by me sharing my story, I can give somebody else hope because mm-hmm. you know, it is, there is hope. You just have to, to try and, um, to get yourself there, you know, to get yourself to that point where you want help and you, you know, you can admit that you need help and mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, I think that, um, you know, who knows if I would have had a problem with anything had I not started out in a doctor's office. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know what my life would have been like, but, um, but yeah, starting out with that particular doctor, um, it sure did shape the way my life was for a long time and it's just I feel like you know something needs to be done to 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 stop it you know I mean there's for you to be able to go in and and get you know just what you whatever you want (laughs) yeah it's just it's amazing to me and you know it's just I think back to to myself going into that office and you know just leaving with a hand, you know, handfuls of samples and, you know, just at my disposal, you know, what, and I was young too, you know, it wasn't, Yeah. I was really young. I went in the first time I went in and saw him and this is so funny to me, but I I went in and saw him and, you know, I was just giving him symptoms. I was thrown out, you know, I can't focus. I can't concentrate. I'm, you know, I can't hold a job. My wife, my wife and I are fighting all the time. So yeah. he starts me on Prestique. And the funniest thing about it was he takes a sample pack out uh-huh. and he pops two of them out. He cuts them and then he rolls them up in a bindle and he gives them to me. What? Yeah, literally did. It was like a sticky note bindle. And then he, I mean, he gave me the rest of the sample, but he was, the point was, and and, he, and I thought about it and I was like, there had to have been a better way, a more professional way to do this. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> he was because he was like, take half and half and half, but it was just so weird. And he rolled that bindle so well. Oh, I'm sure he did. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's that's crazy. You know, um this sadly the story with him um it doesn't end with just me. Um you know, my dad had, um, like I said, he was our family doctor and my dad had been on the same, um, combination of meds for, you know, the better part of his life, Mm. 25, 30 years at that time. Um, and he went in there and the doctor, uh, one day was just like, you know, I'd really like to try you on this new stuff. And, you know, took him off the meds that he had been on that had been working for him forever and um and switched it up to something that i'm sure he was getting a kickback from because 
gave it to everybody that walked into his office for one reason or another. What was and, it? And uh, it was a Fexer. Hmm. I think a Fexer and Seroquel probably. About, I don't know, two, three months later, my dad went off the deep end and uh, just completely lost his mind and um, ended up destroying the relationship between my parents and between um, my siblings and my father and I. And um, I'm uh, to this day, I don't, I still don't talk to him. So, I mean, whatever, whatever happened in his brain, you know, caused him to literally fall off the deep end. And, uh, and he never returned? No, no, he didn't. So, you know, you ever try to talk to him? I've reached out a few times, um, but every time I do, it's the same outcome. So it kind of just got to the point where I, I didn't want to break my own heart anymore by doing it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's he's moved on with his life, which is fine. I'm happy for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, had that not happened, who knows what would what would have been? You know, you don't take somebody that's been on the same kind of meds for their entire life and switch them up because you know you've got this the latest and greatest that you're getting a kickback from which i know he was because literally everybody that i had ever talked to at that you know at that time was on the same medication Mm -hmm. so yeah it's interesting if you go there's a website you can go to that any doctors that get paid by pharmaceutical companies or you know, any, any of that type of stuff, there's a website, they have to report that. Really? And, yeah. And so you can actually um, go to, I don't remember the name of the website, but you can, you can find it online, the, um, okay. the, you know, the payments that doctors receive. And so you'll find his name on there and you'll find, you know, whatever payments he's getting from, um, from different. Yeah. I'd companies. be really interested to know because um, I'm sure there's, there's got to be quite a few for him or there was at one point in time. I don't yeah. know how far back it looks, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah. I, I actually looked him up. Um, you know, it's not, it's not an enormous amount of money right now, Yeah. but you know, I think maybe on an average of like 3000 or something like that, you know, um, yeah. I don't even know if it's that same med though. I don't, um, that, that he, but it's basically, you know, pharmaceutical companies that will come out and they'll give them samples and they'll, you know, want them to try and test it. They'll take them out to lunch, you know, things. Yeah. And so some of the payments that are on there are actually that part, part that where they okay. pay for his lunch and, you know, things of yeah. that nature. But it's, yeah, it is, it is sad. I mean, it's really, it's absolutely, it's crazy, you know. Um, it is crazy. You know, doctors should not be getting uh, kickbacks from pharmaceutical companies. uh, No, and, and, you know, I feel like it's, um, you know, things are all tied in together, you mm -hmm. know, because when I went, when I started going to the pain management doctor is when I told you that, you know, I started to really get prescribed the heavy duty stuff, Mm -hmm. um, which I was always instructed to fill at a certain pharmacy. Mm. You know, I was, you know, he never... Yeah. Um, I would leave his office and he would tell me, you know, go downstairs and get this filled with pharmacy downstairs. And, and that's always what I did. And the one time that, um, that I had to have my mom go and get something filled for me, she went to a different pharmacy and it was, uh, an absolute nightmare for her, you know, 
to get Why? this stuff filled somewhere Why? else. I I don't really know. Well, because it was such a huge amount of such a strong narcotic wow. that you know it was very frowned upon um, to be getting filled. Mm. Period. But you know, so yeah, always at the same pharmacy and. That one that you yeah. were saying in the very beginning of this really is intriguing. The 18, you say 18 refills? 10. Or 10 refills? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. just, that's, yeah. yeah. He doesn't, that's one thing I found with him, um, you know, the Adderall, for instance, right? You know, huh. Adderall is a schedule two, so it's, you know, it requires a triplicate form. Right. And you cannot write refills, right, for triplicates. And so that's right. how he gets around it. He'll write you three separate prescriptions mm-hmm. uh, dated a month apart. And Jeez. that's how he gets around that, um, the refill thing. Right. So you're not having to go back into his office or call for refills. You've already got it all yep. set. Yep. And I actually, it's funny because uh, the other, and I, I got to look into this. I want to double check on this, but he, he also told me in my meeting that if I needed more Adderall to just call mm-hmm. him and he'll mail them to me. I don't oh, think that's legal. I doubt it. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't sound like it would be. And I want to do it. I'm actually, I, I was thinking about doing it was giving a call. Uh, Cause I, I wanted, I wanted to get it recorded too. I was going to record it. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. And yeah. That's, this that doctor, can't... this doctor needs to go down. I mean, he really I does, agree. you know? Um, and some of the stuff with Jody, um, you know, I've actually sent her information. We've got some information to the DEA's office. I don't know if they're doing anything. That's kind of the frustrating part with me is, um, are they actually doing anything? It's been a little while and I haven't heard anything. Yeah. But, I mean, know. at this, at this point in the game, I mean, he's already had, you know, definitely a few slaps on the wrist that I'm aware of. Yeah. He's been um, on probation twice. Yeah. So he actually his that- license was revoked twice, but they stay it putting him on probation. I don't get that. I don't either. That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, if you screwed up that badly that you've had your license pulled twice to practice medicine and, and you're still, you know, just writing prescriptions all day long. That's crazy to me. Yeah. That's all he does. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. He he also told me, he also told me in my last meeting that he's um, writing a book for professionals. Oh, good. Yeah. Great. I was thinking like the solution to everybody's problems, get them fucked right. up on drugs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Um, I was, and then, the, you know, this other doctor that he had referred me out to, it got me hooked on fentanyl. Um, you know, I was looking up and trying to get some information on him and what he's up to these days. And he still has a successful practice, but now, you know, he's trying to steer clear of the opiates and mm. now he's, he's doing ketamine therapy, mm. which that to me is absolute insanity. I mean, yeah, I, that's weird. I don't know. It's yeah. uh yeah. The dissociative anesthetic, you know, we just need to disconnect from our bodies. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you know, you give these people, you know, a, a dose of it every what couple once a week or whatever but what do you think is going to happen when you stop dosing them you know yeah they're going to start dosing themselves and that's where the problems are going to start again you know 
That's exactly what they are, though. I mean, they're literally just drug pushers, drug dealers, you know? They really are, yeah. And I mean, I I got to a point when I was, you know, when I, it was really bad, um, when I was really bad into the prescription stuff. And, um, you know, I remember standing in line at CVS one time, just um, feeling like that was where I, it was like, a, was my trap house, you know what I mean? Um, so I don't know. It's when you start to see the light, you start to really realize how fucked up it actually is, you know? And, you know, my mom had gone into an appointment with me one time because she was really worried about me because I was, I was fucked up. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, she was like, am I going to have to put my daughter in rehab after this? You know, what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to get her off all this stuff? And, the doctor was like, oh, you know, we do this all the time. This is what we do. Everything's going to be fine. Well, everything wasn't fine, you know, like not even close to fine, you know? And I think when the doctor started to see that I had a real problem is when he started to like back off and be like, okay, well, nope, sorry. You know, you're cut off. And what do you think is going to happen? Of course, I'm going to go to the streets to look for it. You know, I'm already hooked. I'm already like, you know, neck deep in this shit. So, so he cut you off when he started seeing you having a problem. Was that the, it's, I think, yeah. I mean, when I, when I started to get really bad is when he cut me off. I mean, he was the one who got me to that point, mm. you know, what do you think is going to happen when you give this person all these medications, you know, and then what were the doses you were on? <clears throat> so at one point in time, I was on, I had, um, the, uh, what are they called? It's the, um, the fentanyl patch. I don't remember the, the exact name of it. It's like the something transdermal patch. Um, mm-hmm. and those are good for three days. I'm not sure exactly the dosage on them, mm-hmm. but you leave them on for three days and it literally pumps through your butt blood mm-hmm. all day mm-hmm. long. Um, and then I had, um, the actic suckers, which, are the fentanyl suckers. And again, I'm not sure on the dosage. I think there's only two different ones. Um, and then uh, like two 80 milligram oxys every day. Hmm. So yeah. What was the accident you were in? Um, I was in a really bad car accident. Um, I literally drove my Honda Civic like underneath a semi truck on. Hmm. Yeah, out in the middle of the desert, so. It was, it was really bad. And then, um, and then shortly after that, I totaled another car. Um, and in that one, I rolled it and that's when the injury got really bad, but. Did you break any bones or did you? Um, I, I screwed up like some of the discs in my lower back and I ended up having to have, um, a couple of like procedures done, but nothing that would warrant the amount of medication that I was on. That's Mm. for sure. You know, like not even, not even close. Yeah. The thing on, so the pain management doctor did, so what kind of screenings did he do? I mean, did he do, or did he just say, (laughs) no, with him, I did have an MRI. Um, and I did have all that. And he's actually the one that did the procedure on my back. Um, because he, you know, that's part of what he does too. He does like, he's big on like, you know, spinal blocks, like, you know, the epidural stuff. And um, yeah, so, I mean, he did, he did help me some, 
you know, but he did more harm than good for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. I always like to ask everybody this. If you were to send a message or tell people out there that are struggling, what would you tell them? You know, that there's light at the end of the tunnel. If you can just, I think the hardest part is, is asking for help or reaching for help, you know, and, and getting yourself in somewhere that can help you. Um, I think a lot of people with opiates too are so scared of the, the withdrawal of it. Um, but you only have to do it one time, you know, and if you can get through it, then, you know, there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel and there's so much more to life and, you know, you'll find joy again and you'll be happy again. It just takes, like you said, takes some time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's the scary part. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I'm like, you know, and I know it sounds so cliche, but you only have to do it once. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of people don't do it once. A lot of people do it once and then slip up and do it again and have to do it again. But if you can just get over that hump and get yourself straight, then, you know, there's hope for sure. Yeah. And I know you had said that you, how long did you have sober when you relapsed? This last time? Yeah. Um, like four and a half months or so, hmm. but I was doing it by myself. I wasn't you know, I wasn't working a program. I hadn't gone into treatment. I was just like doing a mat kind of deal with a doctor, Mm. um, on Suboxone. So, um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't working a program and doing the things that I should have been doing. So, you know, I had a little slip up and I mean, it was a pretty big slip up. It was like a couple weeks slip up. Um, and then right after that is when I checked myself into a 90 day residential and, um sorry uh so yeah then I I did the the 90 days and then yeah and then I like I I started IOP right after and um I've got a lot of support through um through that and you know my family's been super supportive and and there for me and they just want me to get they just want me to be normal again you know and happy and not struggling and fighting for my life every single day well I know I know you can do it you know thank you yeah I mean I I have a lot of faith in myself and it's definitely been a rough journey but yeah yeah just build that you know build that support system you know have those people in your life that you know you can always reach out to for Um, sure and uh you've got my email if you need to ever you know if you ever need any help or you can always contact me. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry if I'm stumbling over my words. And yeah, you're good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a big problem right now, and it's really sad. You know, it's affecting so many different people and of mm-hmm. so many different walks of life. You know, it has no boundaries or bias. It, you know, mm-hmm. it's out there, and it it's fucking people up left and right, and um, it's scary you know, whenever, whenever people see a doctor, know what you're taking that, that I think is the key. You know, you can't, if a doctor hands you something, research it, know what you're taking because you're going to pay the price, you know, right. Absolutely. Yes. And, uh, and I think that's really, I think that's really important for people. Um, because every choice we make in our life leads to something. (laughs) Definitely. uh, 
Well, hey, I want to thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Um, I really, I, you know, I appreciate you letting me share my story. Absolutely. Mm. Is there anything I um, didn't ask you that you want to say or? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, yeah, I just, I wanted to, to definitely share my experience about this particular doctor because it is, it's really scary what he's doing and he mm -hmm. does it every day long, every day, all day long. So, yep. Yeah, he does. And he's, he's going to kill somebody if he hasn't already. Yeah, um, I believe so. Yeah. But, uh, Hey, I want to thank everybody for tuning into another episode of high walk clean. And as I always like to say, keep getting high, but let's do it clean. I'll see you next time. Get to you.